often the the sort of rhetoric is of the dark honor committee on the hill who you know rules with an iron fist and you're almost administrators. Uh, listen, we're like we're like watered down administrators, right? <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Jim Ryan, the president of the University of Virginia, and I'd like to welcome all of you to the sixth episode of Inside UVA. This podcast is a chance for me to speak with some of the amazing people at the university and to learn more about what they do and who they are. My hope is that listeners will ultimately have a better understanding of how UVA works and a deeper appreciation of the remarkably talented and dedicated people who make UVA the institution it is. I'm thrilled to welcome Andy Chambers, fourth year student and the current chair of the Honor Committee today, to today's episode of Inside UVA. Andy, thanks very much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So I thought I would start by asking you the same question I ask every guest uh, at the beginning of an episode, and that is, have you ever run a landscaping company or built an electric guitar? Um, you know, I've ironically done both of those things. No uh, kidding. Wow. Okay, yeah. we're like five for five then. Yeah, in terms of no, I, I, uh, it's, a, it's a good group of uh, aspiring luthiers <laughs> and, you know, grass cutting. Um, so when did you do those things? Yeah, so those were both in high school. As a sophomore in high school, was working a minimum wage job as a host at a restaurant, and you know, I was kind of fed up working seven twenty-five an hour. And so I said, "Oh, what could I do to, you know, make my time a bit more valuable?" And I said, "Oh, well, I could cut grass." And so I um, started a landscaping company with my buddy who lived down the road from me, and we ran that for about two and a half years. Um, and then my senior year of high school, my public school had a weird tradition of the senior project, which was supposed to be this ominous and difficult thing that you learned a skill or did something kind of daunting. So people ran marathons, people learned to cook, um, and I wanted to learn how to build guitars. And so I built an electric guitar that year um, and worked with a local luthier, and he and I went from two big blocks of wood to a refined electric guitar. Wow. And who, do you have the guitar now? Do you play it? Uh, yeah, it's back home. I, I play it when I'm back home a lot. In the lawn room, it's, uh, the electric guitar is a little uh, much, but uh, I have the acoustic for when I want to play there. <laughs> and did you say luthier? Yes. Is that the name? Okay, um, for those like me who have never heard that term, is that basically the term for someone who makes guitars? Uh, it's a maker of stringed instruments, so it comes from the word lute, uh, and so... You know, a luthier would make anything from a guitar or a bass to a violin to a banjo, um, anything like that. So where did you grow up and how did you make your way to UVA? Yeah, so I'm from a town in kind of southwest Georgia called Columbus. Um, it's right on the border with Alabama, about five minutes from the Phoenix City, Alabama. It's a city. It's 200,000-ish people, but it's bolstered mostly by a military community. So Fort Benning is the largest army base um, in America, and it's there. That's where a lot of their training goes through. Um, and were your parents in the military? or? So my, I had like a grandfather and a stepmom in the military, but my direct parents weren't. Um, my dad is a mechanic. My mom is a bookkeeper, and so I'm a first-gen college student. But I, um, when I was going through school, I was kind of trying to figure out where I could go that would make the most sense, you know, financially and also, you know, academically. And I came down to a few options and I thought that UVA after visiting was kind of the best way I could go. And so that's where I ended up. And am I right that you are both an Eccles scholar and a Jefferson scholar? <laughs> yeah, no, no way to out me on the podcast, but yeah, sure thing. <laughs> well, those are two of the most prestigious scholarships we offer. And is it even legal to have both? 
<laughs> well, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Eccles I always thought was the, uh, the nice uh, benefit to the Jeff Scholar because the Jeff Scholar is the money, but the Eccles is getting out of the graduation requirements, which uh, made it really helpful to never take chemistry again. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to talking about um, the uh, Honor Committee. I understand you have been involved with Honor every year since you started, and, and what drew you to it in the first place? Yeah, well, I, ironically enough that you bring it up after the, the Jeff Scholar thing, when I was here at the selection weekend for the Jefferson Scholars, the director of the program who was doing a lot of the selections, he handed us a math test, and we had had a snow day in the middle of our selection weekend, so half people were flying in late, and people were you know having trouble getting to Charlottesville, and so he said, listen, we'd normally have you take this in one big room, but I'm going to give you this exam and tell you to take it on your honor, right? And so here were a bunch of 18-year-old kids who weren't UVA students, right? We were high school students from around the country. And he trusted us when competing for this giant scholarship to take it on our honor. Um, and that really spoke to me. It was something I was raised with. And so when I came to UVA, there was nothing I thought was more worthwhile, right? It wasn't necessarily the most fun thing I was going to be doing, but it was certainly the thing that I believed in most. And as honor chair, uh, what's your job, essentially? I mean, what's the day-to-day role or week-to-week role of the chair of the committee? Yeah, so it's it's pretty loosely defined in our governing documents. Um, they the Constitution prescribes that I chair all meetings of the Honor Committee and the Executive Committee. Um, the bylaws let me know that I have ultimate administ- power to administrate and lead the honor system. So it's pretty woolly. Um, generally speaking, uh, I've taken it as a sort of uh, far more administrative role. So I case processed a lot in my time, but I've done that less so this year. Um, my job is mostly to kind of help the committee along to wherever it's going. Uh, policy-wise, it's to kind of field the one-on-one conversations people need to have with honor as the sort of face of honor in a lot of ways. Um, my, my role is a lot like a prime minister rather than a president. Um, so I, I represent a body, and my, my job is to, you know, kind of keep their will at the forefront of that. Um, Who else serves on the honor committee? First of all, how big is it? And how, how do people become members? Yeah, so it's there's two different bodies. There's the Honor Committee and then the Honor Support Officer Pool. Um, the Honor Committee is theoretically 29 members, though we currently have 28 seats filled, um, with five representatives from the college and two from every other school at the university. Um, so we have all manner of graduate students, uh, school continuing professional studies students. We have uh, a representative from the New School of Data Science. We have you know for all walks of the university, um, and they are elected. Um, and if they aren't elected, they're appointed through their school councils. Um, the honor support officer pool is a little bit different. They're the ones who do all of our day-to-day case processing. They're the folks on the ground doing, you know, the hard legwork of the honor system. And they are selected but through our selection process that's run by other fellow support officers and then the executive board of the committee. Um, so there's about, in a given year, give or take about 100 support officers and about 29 committee reps. So... And what's your favorite part of the job as chair, and what's the most challenging part? Yeah, I would say my favorite part is definitely the the people, um, interacting with everyone and kind of, you know, fielding a lot of different components of the system. You get a bird's eye view that I don't think you get in any other role. I served as a vice chair for hearings last year, which is the sort of second in command. And even there, I got 30% of what I get now. And, and that is simply because I get, I'm looped on in every conversation. Um, and so I see, you know, when I go to committee and we're discussing policy, I'm thinking, oh, well, here's these other six conversations I've had that aren't necessarily admissible here, but that influence my decision and trying to bring people along without 
betraying that sort of thing, um, the hardest part is exactly that. It's bridge building. It's making sure that people feel both heard and that the, the community is safe and represented. Um, you know, it doesn't sort of fall to baseline politics in the way that a lot of the rest of the world seems to these days and making sure that we can still come together as people and as friends on the committee while also disagreeing vehemently on philosophy and how the system ought to be led. Yeah, and I I imagine that's been put to the test a little bit this year. There's been a lot of conversations about changes to um, the honor system. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those and, and let us know and the listeners know um, where things stand. Yeah, um, so kind of where we've been is um, the, the current committee uh, in elections last spring pretty well decided that constitutional reform was something in which we were very interested. You know, we kind of see a couple of internal policy problems in the honor system that we thought might be remedied through, you know, substantial changes. And we had a very experienced committee who we thought would be really well equipped to create those sorts of solutions. Um, and we came to a committee in the fall, kind of having a host of options on the table. And uh, recently we've, you know, kind of descended upon one option. However, it doesn't really seem to have, you know, maintained the sort of steam that it had at the beginning. Um, there's a very high threshold to put something on the ballot from the committee. Uh, it's two, yeah, two thirds of the whole committee, which of our 28 member body is 19 people. You know, and there are some people who can't make it to every committee meeting. And so if we have 23 people in the room, uh, then you need to get all but four to, to pass it. And so we haven't quite reached that um, yet. Or, you know, I don't know if we necessarily will. Um, but what we have been doing is having these, you know, kind of rigorous conversations. Meetings have been perfectly friendly. Meetings have been heated. It's, you know, been a, a wide swath. And it, you know, puts to test the sort of ideals of, self-governance. It puts to test the ideals of, you know, trusting one another. Um, Ori Streeter, who was the chair about three years ago, um, he reached out to me when I first took on the role and he's a med student residency right now. And he texted me and says, Hey, you know, I know this role can be really challenging and you'll learn more from it than anything else. And I was like, I don't know, man, I was vice chair. Maybe I won't. And I, I got about three months through committee deliberation said, ah, never mind. He was right. Right. Yeah. And my guess is that you hear from a decent number of alums. Is that right? Yeah, they, uh, you know, some of them have my phone number, many of them just email me. Um, so yeah. I, I definitely get a lot of them interacting. So I will say that whenever I speak with alums, almost without fail, they will point to the honor system as one of the most important aspects, not only of their time at UVA, but uh, that it's shaped their life beyond UVA. And I'm curious from your perspective, why do you think it has so much staying power? I think there's something really intrinsically difficult about it, right? The status of academic honesty in most high schools is pretty limited, right? Um, and when, when you come to UVA, you are now told that you do not lie, cheat, or steal. And it's a, it's a tough thing to switch to because if you are in a class that's difficult, it's really tempting to cheat, especially when UVA professors would trust you to take exams at home. And so to graduate from Virginia, it means that you made the difficult decision to say, I'm going to do worse in this exam and not cheat because it's the right thing to do. Um, and I think that once you make that decision, that's a, it's a sort of discipline. It's a sort of um, a pedigree you take on that you say, okay, well, if I've done that, I can do other things. I can be trusted. I can trust myself. Um, and I think that's why it sticks with many alumni, and it's certainly why it's stuck with me. And in terms of students, 
how important do you think the honor system is to life at UVA? Just in terms of the culture of UVA or a student's life, does the honor system still matter? You know, I think it's, you know, it's a diverse university, right? And you're going to have perspectives all across. I've read Cav Daily articles arguing to dismantle the honor system. Um, similarly, I've hosted town halls where, you know, we handed out things we could to attract opinions. And people came. We had, you know, say half or more say, I like the honor system. I don't have any great opinions on it. I think it's good, right? Um I still, with regularity, you know, when I used to go to libraries, uh, I would see laptops left unattended, right? When I walk down the lawn, I'm very grateful that the, you know, my chair and the chairs around me are all unlocked, right? Because we, we trust that. And so I think, you know, to some degree that it's still very much so alive. I have professors who leave the class when we take midterms, right? And that's a, it's a crazy thing to do with a, you know, this isn't even a graduate seminar. This is 2000 level class that these are just students taking class. And so there are obviously going to be detractors. There have always been detractors. People, you know, dislike the idea of, you know, a, a harsh system or they dislike the idea of a, a system at all that makes you adhere to these values that they may think are archaic or vestigial. But I would say the majority of UVA students, it's still something that I think holds value, even if it's not heavily upon their minds. Yeah, that's a sense I've gotten from conversations I've had with a number of students uh, this fall. And it makes me wonder, and I'm curious of your opinion about this, that we don't spend enough time talking about the benefits of living in a community of trust as compared to the amount of time we spend talking about the appropriate sanctions. And I know part of your job, and especially this year, is to be talking about sanctions. But when I listen to students, I realize there is a tangible benefit to being part of a community of trust. Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. You know, that's something that we are really looking forward to in the spring with our popular assembly is to show students that this is a you know, a positive force in their lives and get their input on the sanction, right? That's something that's on their mind. Let's hear it. But uh, I think more so to show them what the honor system actually means, what it does for them. I think it's all a, uh, a really important component of this. Right. What's one thing or two things about uh, the honor system or the work of your committee that people might not understand or realize that you think they should? Yeah, I would say, and it comes mostly from panelist reviews. So every, after we, every hearing, um, we have our 10 to 12 panelists who will we'll hand them a survey and they'll fill out how they felt about the day, what they thought about it. And panelists, for those who are unfamiliar, is more like a juror, right? They, they're a random student who are tapped to come and determine guilt. And consistently, 85, 90%, um, they talk about two things. Uh, they talk about, A, how tight of a ship. We, we run. Um, and it's, you know, obviously a lot of it's behind closed doors to protect our accused students, right? Because regardless as a, of if somebody has committed an honor offense, we owe them that decency, right? Um, and so that's something we're very serious about and keep very, you know, locked up tight to protect them. Um, but we do work really hard and we have a, a great group of dedicated people who, you know, run a pretty tight ship and put a lot of hours into this without, you know, a lot of payback. Um, and the second component is that you know, we're fellow students and we care a lot about the folks that we work with. Um, you know, the faculty that, you know, may report to us are folks that we could have taken classes from. The students that we, you know, process are students that we've taken classes with or we could have, you know, hang out with on the corner any given weekend. It's, we, we try to look at this with compassion and decency, but also trying to protect this community. And so I don't think they recognize the, 
and many people recognize that the level of empathy and the, the level of care that um, I think 99.9% of folks in honor put towards this. Right. So how many hours a week do you spend on this, would you say? <laughs> Ooh, uh, you're going you're gonna to drag my sleep schedule out in here. Uh, probably close to, you know, on a light week, maybe 25-ish. Uh, on a heavier one, maybe 35, 40. I think that's true for me and most of the vice chairs. Yeah. So you don't have that much time outside of this. Uh, but tell me a little bit about what, if anything, you can do aside from your current job as chair of the committee. Yeah, so I, I study history, and I'm in the Distinguished Majors Program for History, so I'm writing my thesis in the spring, and I take an inordinate amount of history classes because they're the things that I really enjoy taking. Beyond that, I've worked at the Virginian this semester um, as a server. I love to run in a past life when I had a kitchen. I love to cook, and I, you know, on my rare moment of time, downtime, I love to you know, just spend good fall days on the lawn with my friends or, you know, just find whatever kind of trouble I can get into. Right. And what's next for you? Do you know? Yeah. So I've, uh, I've signed with a management consulting position in Atlanta. So I'll be working for McKinsey and Company. Oh, great. Terrific. Well, Andy, I want to thank you for your time. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate all the work that you're doing um, for the Honor Committee and for UVA generally. Um, and thanks again for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. Inside UVA is a production of WTJU 91.1 FM and the Office of the President at the University of Virginia. Inside UVA is produced by Mary Garner McGee, Brooke Whitehurst, Matt Weber, and Nathan Moore. We also want to thank Andrew Chambers, Monica Schack, and McGregor McCants. Our music is turning to you from Blue Dot Sessions. Listen and subscribe to Inside UVA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with another conversation about the life of the university. 